For the scripture reading, for the message this evening, turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Luke 15, 1 through 10. And we will stand for the reading of God's word. Luke 15, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine of the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Let us us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the time that we have in Luke chapter 15 tonight to reflect upon these parables of our Lord, to consider their, their meaning, their application for us, and we ask that you would use this word uh, for our upbuilding in faith, uh, for our growth and understanding, for an increase of love for our Savior. Uh, we ask that you would make this word profitable, and we pray in the name of Christ, amen. Well, since we began the Gospel of Luke in the evenings, uh, Kevin, Todd, and myself, and sometimes a few others have been working our way through this book and rotating, and because of the way that that works, you don't always know what section of Scripture you're going to be on. Uh, It depends on what other people choose and the timing of the weeks, and so I always wait for a few weeks ahead looking at, where am I going to be? Which one do I get? It's almost like a little bit of a a special drawing, you know, what section of scripture you're going to get. And it's a joy to me to be able to be in Luke 15, uh, and our brother, uh, Pastor Todd, will probably cover the prodigal son section of Luke 15 uh, next week, but these parables are very dear to our hearts, I believe. I think Luke 15 is amongst probably the most well-known and well-loved parables of our Lord. And the reason should be obvious. They show the love of Christ for sinners in a particularly memorable and powerful way. We we see something of the character of our loving father when this father receives the prodigal son who has come home. And we see the love of Christ as the shepherd to go out and seek the lost sheep. And we see it in the parable of the woman with the coin. She goes and finds the coin. And, And as we reflect upon this, we... If any of us are those lost sheep who have been rescued, then we read this parable as our story. It's very personal to read about the sheep being found, because if we have come to believe in Jesus Christ, then this is our story. This parable is a reflection upon what happened to us. And if we were that lost coin sitting in some dark corner of a house, and we were found, again, it's extremely personal, isn't it, to see it that way. 
Now, the three parables in Luke 15 are, in one sense, just one parable. In fact, at the beginning of this section, it says that Jesus told them this parable, singular. And each of them really are an amplification of one another. And it climaxes, of course, with the parable of the two lost sons. Sometimes we call it the parable of the prodigal son, but there's actually two lost sons, in a sense, uh, as we will find out. So since there are so many details contained in this parable, even though they are one parable, I decided just to take the first two sections, uh, lest I race through the details. I didn't want to do that. So we will begin by looking at the, uh, the lost um, sheep and the lost coin this evening. Now before we actually look at that, we need to consider the setting of this particular narrative in parables. Now, one of the most important summaries of why Jesus came to this earth is found in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19. I find this uh, summary in chapter 19 to be very important and central in understanding Jesus' mission in his incarnation. Luke 19, verse 10, this was stated when he was at the house of a repentant tax collector, Zacchaeus. And there he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is central for what Jesus came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. He did it there at the house of Zacchaeus. He found this lost man who had previously been given over to covetousness and he redeemed him. Uh, and, And Zacchaeus repented and found new life in Christ. Now, Jesus therefore came to find lost sinners like you and me. That's why he came. And our Lord's incarnation and his life of suffering and his death came at a much greater cost than a woman looking for a coin or even a shepherd looking for a sheep. It came at the cost of his own life. That's how he loved us. But Jesus uh, had a lot of opposition to his ministry. People did not like his seeking and saving ministry very much during his time on earth. And the Pharisees objected here to what Jesus was doing. They objected to how Jesus, quote, received tax collectors and sinners. And he did receive them in a certain sense. And that's how the chapter begins, verses 1 through 2. We read, Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees objected, of course, to this. Now, how was it that Jesus received sinners? In what sense is that true? Well, we learned in Luke chapter 5 that Jesus is a physician. He is the great physician that has come to help the sick. And that, of course, is applied to the spiritually ill, those that are ill with sin, uh, facing death and judgment. And so if we want to think about how did Jesus receive sinners, he received sinners as a doctor inviting patients into his office to take care of them, to tend to them, to heal them. That's how Jesus received them. He, he received the wounded, the weak, the helpless, the repentant, of course. He never left them in that horrible condition. He brought them out of it. The Pharisees, of course, didn't help these people. They had nothing to do with them. They, they ignored them. They rejected them. They ostracized them. And in this regard, they utterly failed in their calling of what we read in Ezekiel 34. They were the shepherds of Israel, but they were not doing a good job. Ezekiel 34, verse 3 through 4, which we read, it says, You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. 
The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. That's exactly the kinds of things Jesus accused them of during his ministry. But our Lord Jesus is a good shepherd. He fulfills the good shepherding that is described in Ezekiel 34. He came to strengthen the weak. He came to heal the sick. He came to bind up the broken, those who were lost, and to bring them back. And, and we see in Ezekiel 34, it says the Lord himself will go out. He says, okay, these other shepherds, they're awful. Forget them, so to speak. I'm going to find them myself. I will go. I will seek them out. I will bring them back. The Lord says, I'll do all the work myself because these other shepherds are so faithless in their work. So it is in light of the Pharisees' grumbling that our Lord told these parables to give us a right perspective of what we should do when sinners repent. And that is indeed, I think, the main application of the three parables together, is that we should rejoice when sinners repent, just as the angels do in heaven, just as the Heavenly Father and and God the Son rejoices in these things, we also must rejoice. And that is really the main point. There's a lot of sub-points and a lot of good applications we can draw from this, but we will keep that in mind as we go through these pictures that our Lord gives us. So let's turn now to the parable of the lost sheep, verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? This is, amongst many portions in Scripture, an example of the shepherd imagery that is laced through the entire Bible. It's amazing that from Genesis to Revelation... We have shepherding pictures. We have pictures of God as the shepherd, and we as his sheep. It is all throughout the scriptures. And so it's fitting that our Lord Jesus Christ would apply this imagery to his mission to seek and to save the lost. And in particular, I want to divide this parable into three portions to consider what we find here. The three portions are, first, the shepherd's initiative. The shepherd's initiative. Secondly, the shepherd's rescue. And then third, the shepherd's joy. So we have the shepherd's initiative, the shepherd's rescue, and the shepherd's joy. Now first we see the initiative of the shepherd. In the parable, the sheep get lost, but the sheep do not find their way home, right? They can't do that. This is the picture of all of us as fallen sinners. We have all gone astray like sheep, the word of God says. We are very good at going astray, but we have no ability in ourselves to find our way back to the sheepfold. Sheep are very good at wandering off. They're very good at getting hurt. They're very good at exposing themselves to danger. They are predisposed to these kinds of things. You can find numerous YouTube videos. It's a great opportunity to use YouTube in a good way. You go find some of these shepherd videos and sheep videos. And one of my favorites is the, the, the video in which there is a sheep stuck in this, this gutter. It's, I guess, a drainage ditch. And this sheep is so big and fluffy that you know, it can't get itself out of the drainage ditch. And so what happens in the video is the shepherd's pulling the sheep by its leg and pulls the sheep out. Two seconds later, the sheep bounds forward and then falls into the very same ditch again. And we think, exactly. This is what happens to us. We, we are good at getting ourselves into trouble. We are good at going astray. And even after we are redeemed, we need the shepherding work of Christ to keep us on the right path. And this is the picture of every fallen sinner, lost, stuck, unable to restore themselves. 
So if any of us are going to be saved, it's going to take the initiative of the shepherd to go get us. And that is certainly what we see in this uh, parable. This parable is a good illustration of the sovereignty of God in salvation. The sheep goes and res- or the shepherd goes and rescues the sheep. We can't we can't do it ourselves. This is what our God did to save us, brothers and sisters. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit so orchestrated the plan of redemption as to accomplish that redemption and then to apply it to every one of His people that He has called and chosen. And I think the hymn that we sometimes sing is a, is a good description of what we exactly see in this parable. I was a wandering sheep. I did not love the fold. I did not love my shepherd's voice. I would not be controlled. I was a wayward child. I did not love my home. I did not love my father's voice. I love to roam afar, is what it says. That's what it's like. Apart from the saving grace of God, the calling work of the Holy Spirit, I don't want to listen to my father. I don't want to be in the sheepfold. I'm going where I want to go. And I'm going to get killed in the process. And then it says, The shepherd sought his sheep. The father sought his child. They followed me o'er vale and hill, o'er deserts waste and wild. And where did they find us? They, they found me nigh to death, famished and faint and lone. They bound me with the bands of love. They saved the wandering one. This is what the Word of God teaches, brothers and sisters, that we must be sought if we would be saved. The Bible teaches that faith and repentance are both gifts of God that we will not have unless it is granted to us by the working of the Spirit of God. And that's the divine initiative of the shepherd in his incarnation. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. That's what he's done for the church. Called us. He's come to take us home. And so we we know that this, this ministry of Jesus, this divine initiative of Jesus continues today. Jesus is still seeking out lost sheep. Every time his word goes forth and the spirit of God accompanies that word, sheep are called back to the fold. And so following the divine initiative, we see the actual rescue of the sheep take place in verse 5. It says, when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. So the shepherd, he went out into the the valleys and hills and the deserts and wastes, and and there he finally finds the one sheep out of the 99. He wasn't going to leave the one behind. All of them were important to him. And when he finds that sheep, he, he so loves that sheep that he takes that sheep up in his arms and he put it on his shoulder. Now, it's not a, an insignificant effort. Not only did you have to find the sheep, but then you have to carry the sheep home. Many full-grown sheep could weigh about 100 pounds. You've got to carry that thing all the way home back to the sheep fold. Here we see something, I think, of the picture of our Savior's willingness to carry us. To carry our burdens. We hear perhaps something of an echo from Isaiah 53. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus, he not only goes and finds us, but then he he picks us up. He, He brings us back. He does all the work to get us home. It is the work of God from beginning to end. And then we see the joy of the shepherd in verses 6. Six through seven. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And we see in the Gospel of Luke, these, these were the times where the Pharisees particularly criticized Jesus. It was at these dinner parties. Jesus had many dinner parties in the Gospels. And we've reflected previously upon how any dinner party with the Pharisees went badly, almost without exception, I think. And then every dinner party with publicans, tax collectors, and other associated sinners goes well because people repent and humble themselves. That's the pattern in the Gospel of Luke. Now, how, what are we to make of these parties that Jesus attended? When he had a dinner party with these repentant tax collectors or Zacchaeus or Levi the tax collector, what were they? Were these riotous, sin-laden parties of drunkenness and excess? No. Although Jesus was accused of that uh, by the Pharisees, that he was a wine-bibber and a glutton and so forth. But they were not those kinds of parties. These were not sin-laden parties in which all of the excesses of sin were indulged in. These instead were repentant celebrations. That's what they were. Better than a birthday party, even better than an anniversary, was a repentant celebration. And that's what happens throughout the Gospel of Luke. This was something worth celebrating, was the repentance of even one sinner. You could throw a whole party over just one sinner repenting. It would be worth it. Because these things delight God the Father, they delight God the Son, and they delight the angels in heaven. And Jesus does indeed find satisfaction in his redemption that he has accomplished. And this is also exactly what Isaiah 53 prophesied in verse 11. It says, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Jesus indeed was greatly satisfied in the redemption of sinners as his mission was accomplished. When Zacchaeus was saved, he was rejoicing. His mission was working itself out. Now the question then, after reflecting on some of the details of the parable, is this. Do I rejoice when sinners repent? Am I like the grumbling, frustrated, self-righteous Pharisees who look down their nose at other people and kind of get frustrated when somebody gets redeemed? Or do we have the heart of Christ so that we rejoice in repentance and salvation. Now, if we're in that Pharisaic category, it's probably because, number one, we either have not been, we are the lost ones that have not been sought out, so we don't appreciate his redemption, that's possible. Or we have forgotten where we have come from. We've forgotten what Jesus has saved us from. We have somehow become self-righteous in our perspective. If you think you are one of the 99 just, just persons who don't need repentance, you're wrong. Jesus in Luke 5, he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, was Jesus actually reinforcing the Pharisees and their self-righteous perspective and saying, you really are righteous? Well, no, he wasn't. They were very much in need of redemption. But the point was that as long as they thought, I don't need the redemption of Christ, then he said, okay, I, I came for those that need that redemption. I came to seek out the sick. I came to seek out the lost. I came to seek out those who are sensing their poverty of spirit. Jesus was saying, in essence, if you don't think you need the physician, fine. I came to seek out those who are looking for rescue and deliverance. So therefore, brothers and sisters, let us consider the question tonight, do I rejoice in the repentance of sinners, indeed all kinds of sinners? Now this can perhaps be harder for us when it comes to a particular person that has sinned against us in a very serious way. It can be very difficult to 
uh, receive that and rejoice in that. What if there was that sinner who sinned against you and hurt you in a very deep way and then years later they're brought to repentance? Would you rejoice? Or would you begrudge them God's mercy? Now we dare not do that if we are the merciful ones. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. But indeed sometimes out of a bitterness of heart or out of an anger or a vengefulness that can be the temptation. We think, I don't know if I want them to receive God's mercy. It shows something of our hearts when we come to that point and we have to remember, but God has been so merciful to me. How could I have such a heart to want other sinners to perish, to want other sinners not to come to repentance? And so we need to be the ones who have the heart of the Savior, ready to rejoice, ready to celebrate. We, we have all the party festivities and all the pieces for the party ready to go. We, maybe we go to the party store and we get all the accessories and uh, the plates and the forks and the napkins and the cups. And we're like, okay, we are ready to rejoice in someone repenting. And all I'm meaning is, metaphorically speaking, we are anticipating it. We are excited about it. We are praying for it. So then we have the, the next picture in verses 8 through 10, the lost coin uh, picture of the woman seeking out the coins. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And it's noteworthy in the Gospel of Luke how often women are mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, there's many instances where Luke provides a direct female parallel to a story. And so we have the shepherd story of a shepherd seeking out. Now we have a woman seeking out a coin. We have other examples of this in the Gospel of Luke. For example, we learn about a son of Abraham being healed, but then we read about a daughter of Abraham being healed in the Gospel of Luke. And there's many examples like this. Uh, we think perhaps of the parable of the persistent widow. There's two parables about persistent prayer. One is the friend at midnight knocking, and then there's the widow, a woman knocking. And it's interesting how Luke provides these different parallels from our Lord's teaching. So here he uses a picture of a woman seeking out a lost coin. She had ten coins, and she lost one. Now you note, of course, as the parable continues, that the number continues to reduce until you have one and one in the parable of the prodigal son. You go from 99 to 1, 10 to 1, 1 to 1. It's interesting how that amplification occurs. Now in this particular uh, picture that Jesus gives us, we're talking about 10 silver coins. And this uh, is referring to a Greek monetary unit called a drachma. And a drachma was basically equivalent to a denarius, so it's about a day's wage for an average laborer. So that it, let's say that you make $100 in a day. Let's say that that's a good wage. And for some families, that may be a good wage. For others, not so much, especially with inflation. But for the sake of argument, let's say you had $100 a day. Well, those 10 drachmas would represent about $1,000. And so this woman, she loses $100 of this, or she loses one drachma of this somewhere in her house. Now here again we see divine initiative illustrated for us. The coin is lost, and the coin is not going to find itself. The coin is not going to jump back into the arms of its owner, right? It just sits there. Now sheep are pretty helpless creatures, but at least they can bleat a bit and get, try to kind of have the homing beacon effect and say, I'm over here. The coin can't even do that. It's completely dead, stuck, inanimate, it's not going to be found without somebody seeking it out. 
And so in both parables, we see the divine initiative. The shepherd seeks out the sheep. The woman seeks out the coin. And so we have a valuable picture of of God's work in each of these parables. Now this should lead us to reflect again on our own stories of being found. Have you been found by the Savior? Were you given new life in Christ? Are you a believer right now? Well, if the answer is yes, it's because the Son of Man came to seek you out. He came to find you. And in light of this, with gratitude for God's mercy, we should ask the same question asked in the hymn, how sweet and awesome is the place where it says, why was I made to hear thy voice and enter while there's room when thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? We need to reflect upon that. Why was I a chosen one? We can't really find the answer to that outside of the truth of God's love, and that's all we need to recognize, but we need to recognize it with profound gratitude. Now, what we're going to get to in the next parable is we know that a human soul is much more valuable than a sheep and a drachma, but each of these are giving pictures as it amplifies its way to the final part of the parable recognizing the value of an eternal soul that is sought out by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Father in heaven. Now, just like the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd rejoices, and the shepherd is so rejoicing that he's not content just to do it on his own. He has to bring people together, right? He says, all my neighbors, come together. We're going to have a celebration for my recovered sheep. And so it is with the woman here in verses 9 through 10. When she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So the woman woman here, she calls all of her lady friends over. Both of the nouns here are feminine in Greek. So all the lady friends come together, and they have a big celebration for the recovery of her one coin. Seems like a really big deal for recovering one coin, but apparently this was very valuable to her. And this is something our God delights in, brothers and sisters, the recovery of his fallen creatures from a state of condemnation to restoring them to a state of glory. He delights in mending these broken jars of pottery and refashioning them to be fully restored. He he so loves that work. Now let's bring this back to where we started in verses 1 through 2. Verse 2, it said, The Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. The scribes and the Pharisees, weren't they? They were so far from the heart of Christ. Far more concerned for their own protection, for their own perceived holiness. They would not touch these untouchables and these deplorables as they considered them. Their focus was a self-focus. It was a self-righteousness. And as a result, their love and their concern for wayward sinners was little to none. They just had no interest or concern for them whatsoever. It's as if they'd rather let the world, whole world be condemned as long as they were good. They were far from the heart of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, do we, do we love to see sinners repent? This is the question of how do we treat repentant sinners? Do we treat them with a self-righteous attitude? Do we, do we compare ourselves to them? But of course, the most fundamental question as we reflect on these parables is the question of, have I been found? 
If you are that wayward sheep, the shepherd calls you home. The offer of the gospel is extended to you in the preaching of the word tonight. The shepherd calls. He offers himself in the gospel. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's his invitation to all who come to him by faith. Return sinner to the house of the father. Return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. And our Lord Jesus, in 1 Peter, it says, He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So you need not wander the deserts. You need not wander the valleys and the dangerous ravines and waterless places of this world looking for a home. I can assure you, you won't find what you're looking for doing that. It's much better to be in the sheepfold. It's much better to go home. And so that is what the Good Shepherd calls us to, is to repent and believe the gospel. To put your faith in the Good Shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep and you will be saved. And so all of this is, is included in these different pictures given in the parables of Luke 15. And may we, may we reflect upon these things and may we pray in light of it that our Lord would give us his heart for repentant sinners. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love to make a way of salvation for lost sinners such as us. By your sovereign will, you sent your Son to accomplish redemption, and by the gospel proclaimed, you invite us. And by the sending of your Spirit, we are given new life. What love you have shown to this world, this broken world, and what love you have shown to us to call us. And I do pray that each of us would respond to the shepherd's call, that every single one of us in this room would return to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We pray also for the lost sheep and the lost coins that are all around us in this county. We ask that you would seek them out and draw them to yourself. We pray that we would see that drawing effect, that we as a church would get one of the front row seats to seeing repentant sinners being coming home. We pray that all the churches of Elizabeth would have the same experience, that the shepherd would go out and do his seeking work, and that we could celebrate together. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.